The following message is from Christian Life Austin. For more information about Christian Life, please visit clcaustin.com. Thank you for listening. You're great people. I love you. Would you stand one more time, and I'm going to present here. We're going to speak tonight on Possessing the Gates, Part 3. And we're going to call it Lift Up Your Heads, O Ye Gates. Lift up your head, O ye gates. Everybody say, lift up your heads, O ye gates. Now, the first Wednesday night, we talked about the church. We talked about possessing the gates, and we we realized that the church, according to Genesis 28, Jacob said, this is the house of God. This is none other than the gate of heaven. So the house of God is the gate of heaven. So you're at a gate tonight. You're at a gate of decision. You're at a gate of experience because you're in the house of God. And uh, we also talked about, is the church in survival mode or is it in possessing mode? And I believe this church is a a possessor. I believe we are possessors in this church. Is this a battleship or is this a cruise ship? We talked about that the first Wednesday night. Then two weeks later, we have skipped some weeks because we've had interruptions, but we talked about blood covenant of heaven and man. We talked about the blood covenant is unbreakable. There's, There's nine steps, I thought, but then... In my study, I discovered a tenth step, and the the last two steps was the ones I really enjoyed because the number nine step of a, of a of a blood covenant in the Old Testament was the exchange of names. And when God made His covenant with Abraham, Genesis 15, He uh, gave Abraham a part of His name, Elohim, Abraham, Ham, Abraham. He was Abram. He became Abraham, and God got a new name. He became the God of Abraham. And it's just kind of neat. And then the last one that I discovered was the exchange of sons. The elder sons were exchanged. I would raise Dr. Al's son and he would raise my son and we had covenant. That's the way it was. And so when Abraham took his lad, his his only son, Isaac, to the top of the mountain Moriah and he offered him and was going to offer him as a sacrifice, God stopped him and let him find a ram in the thicket and Abraham's son was spared. But then later, God did not spare his son. He allowed his son to die for us. And that's what brought us salvation. Man, that's so good. That is so good. So tonight, we're going we're gonna to possess the gates. We're going to talk about gates that we need to possess. And we're going to read our text tonight from Genesis 22 and 17. It's just the last part of it. And your descendants shall possess the gate of their Everybody say, we should be possessors. You may be seated. I love you very much. When you read the Bible devotionally, you're not reading to study per se, but you're still reading to hear God's voice. And I was reading in Genesis of the stories of Abraham, and in chapter 22, Abraham's offering of Isaac to the Lord, and God saw first point that Abram had with Abraham had withheld nothing from him in other words he was willing to give his only son then in verse 17 God restates his promise of blessing of multiplication to Abraham's descendants or his seed he said your seed shall be of the sand of the sea and your seed shall be of the stars of the sky it's innumerable try to count the stars it's like the little boy that went to school and the teacher said I want you to go out in the backyard Tonight, and I want you to count the stars, little old kindergartner, and said, I want you to bring back your number tomorrow. 
So the next day, kids were coming and said, I saw 100 stars. One kid said, I saw 300. He was a smart aleck in the class. Little Bobby, what would you see? He said, I saw three. And the teacher looked at him and he said, well, why did you just see three? He said, I've got a real small backyard. <laughs> now, the first part of this verse is powerful. God is good. He really is. I had neglected the third aspect of blessing in the final phase, verse 17, and I've neglected it for a long time. But when I discovered it not long ago in my reading to bring this series to you, and your seed shall possess the gate of their enemies. It brought spiritual warfare to mind. And I know some people have a problem with that, but there is a war going on in this world. It's an amazing truth. Galatians 3.29 said, If you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. I love it. And as spiritual seed of Abraham, we Christians are rightful recipients of the blessings of Abraham so we can inherit these promises of God. So, if I or any believer in Jesus Christ possess the gate of my enemy, what does that mean, to possess the gate? What is, what is it that is significant about a gate? God impressed on me that the answer to these inquiries would be life-changing. In ancient times, folks, in Israel and other eastern cultures, the gates of a city were busy places for the whole population of that city. The gate was a place of important business transactions. In fact, if you read the book of Ruth in the Old Testament, it's not a long book to read. You could read it before you go to bed tonight. Boaz, in the story of Ruth, wanted to do the right and legal thing for her, and he went to the elders who sat at the gate of the city. And in Ruth 4 and 1, the business transaction occurred there that changed Ruth's life forever. In fact, the Moabitess woman marrying Boaz, the kinsman redeemer, became in the lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ. The gate was, number one, the place of legal business transactions. I'm going to put it on the board. It was a, it was a place of legal business transactions. I'm going to put you some scripture up there. You can look at it later. I'm not going to read them. Genesis 23, 10 and 18 and Deuteronomy 21 and 19. The gate was also the place of justice. Kings sat at the gate to meet with her subjects and make legal decisions. Princes and judges sat at the gate and discharged their duties. Court was held there. Disputes were settled there. Priests and prophets delivered discourses and admonitions and prophecies and counsel at the gate. I'll give you some more scripture. 2 Kings 7, 2 Kings 22, Nehemiah 8, Jeremiah 17, Jeremiah 36. And it was also the place of public speaking. This is all where the, what happened at the gates. The people gathered at the gate or in the courtyard of the gate for conversation to share local news and for discussion on many, many subjects. The massive vaulted structure, often with covered courtyards, offered a cool place to escape from the heat of the desert of the Middle East. It was a place of rest as well. Furthermore, the gate, the gate served as the marketplace of the town. It's where you went to get your groceries. There's a lot of stuff happening. So you're buying groceries. They're judging somebody over here and a king sitting right there discoursing some duty to his soldiers. 2 Kings chapter 7. And the gate became a symbol of strength and power. And dominion. It was also the weakest point of defense and therefore heavily defended. Watchtowers were constructed on either side of the gates on the corners as lookout posts in the place where watchmen could see if the enemy was approaching and call the city to alert. And at night the gates were closed and barred and guarded and secured by locks with big keys. 
I'm going to make a statement now. To possess the gate was to possess the city. To possess the gate was to possess the city. The Israelites, the seed of Abraham, were promised power or dominion over the cities or the gates of their enemies. In natural wartime, to possess, I'm setting a foundation here, to possess the gate meant possession of the city. And we know as it goes in the natural, so it goes in the spiritual. It's an awesome thought. So if I possess the gate of the enemy, he has no business messing with me. (laughs) I am the seed of Abraham. I've possessed the gates having been bought and washed by the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm not trying to be emotional, but I am a child of the king. I possess the gate of the enemy, and I put hallelujah. Victory is assured through the promises of God because there's 7,000 of them in the Bible, and every one of them are yea and amen. See, the book of Genesis records another instance where the descendants of Abraham were given this spiritual heritage to possess the gates of your enemies. First, it was in Genesis 22 and 17, God's provision of a substitute ram, and he said, your your seed, your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemy. But then in chapter 24, just two chapters later, Abraham sent his servant Eliezer to find a wife for Isaac back at his homeland. And in chapter 24, the relatives of Rebekah, who Eliezer found, send her away with the Abraham's servant to become Isaac's wife. And as she's leaving, they speak this blessing over her. May you, our sister, become thousands of ten thousands, and may your seed possess the gate of those who hate them. Since, <laughs> since Rebekah and Isaac were married at the end of chapter 24, we could say that the two promises regarding possessing the gate of your enemy came together and were passed on to their offspring. What power, what a multiplication, what a confirmation, promise, marrying, promise. Can I just say something a little bit without hurting your feelings? If you're dying to get married and you got promise on your life, don't pick somebody that don't have one. Promise needs to marry promise. You don't need to marry a doubter, a non-believer. You need to marry somebody that says, I've got something going on in my soul. Somebody needs to help me preach right now. You need to marry a person of promise. You need to marry somebody that gets up every morning biting biting, uh, nail penny, 10 penny nails and shaving with razor blades without a shaver. You need to marry somebody that's got victory in their soul and got victory in their stance and got a smile on their face. It's kind of like the woman that went to the psychiatrist one time. She said, Doc, I've got a problem. She, he said, what's the problem? She says, my husband. And he said, well, what's the problem? She said, well, said, he gets up every morning and he stands in front of the mirror and he says, rawr, you tiger. Rawr, you're a tiger, rawr. Go get them today. And the doctor said, you don't have a problem, sweetheart. You've got a blessed man in your life. She said, no, I got a problem. He never leaves the house. (laughs) 
if you're going to roar, you got to get off the porch if you're going to run with the big dogs. Come on, somebody help me preach. We need people in this house of promise, Marion, promise. We need to bring promise into this world. Hallelujah. Isaac and Rebecca have twin sons, and one of them, Jacob, is the ancestor of the Jewish people. And the Jewish people to this day possess the gate of their enemies. If you don't believe it, ask Russia, ask Afghanistan, ask Iraq, ask Iran. They hate them, but they can't touch them. <laughs> that little old country about the size of Delaware just says, get back. <laughs> and there's this stir, and they're just all Gog and Magog are just saying, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Because Israel is a bad man. God's promise never goes away. But I, I quoted to you Galatians 3.29, but the previous verse, Galatians 3.28, says that there is neither Jew nor Greek, bond nor free, male nor female, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. We're all one in Him without distinction. Now I'll read 3.29 again. And if you are Christ... You are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So if the Jews physically, hallelujah, can possess the gate of their enemies, we spiritually need to possess the gate of our enemies. So we inherit the promise. We inherit it. Already stated, gates were marketplaces, municipal courts, place where elders gave wisdom, issues of the day discussed, kings sat there taking political pulse of the people. Even threshing floors were started there in a place of public declaration. Jeremiah was told to stand in the city gate and proclaim the word of the Lord. It was a commercial center of the city. The gates to the city then represent the point of power, a place to exercise control over the city because if you had the gate, you had the city. And the military conqueror would try to get control of the gate in order to enter the city more easily. Modern day in which we live our lives and our cities, our states, our nation, many of us feel today like the enemy of the kingdom of God is possessing some of our gates. And that's what I'm going to talk about tonight. Can I tell you a story that happened one day on a place called Calvary? Jesus died. And he was buried in a grave. And many people know that the day he was buried, what happened, and they know the day he resurrected, what happened. But a lot of people don't know what happened in between. But Peter said he went and spoke to spirits in prison. Amen? He went and spoke to spirits in prison. And when he came out of that prison house, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. And he brought them out of that prison house, and he said, I have the keys. He went and took back the keys that belonged to him. In fact, I'm going to tell you right now, the devil don't even have keys to his own house right now. That ought to make you happy. He told John at, at Patmos, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I'm alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and of hell and of the grave. And I'm not giving them back. So I serve a Savior who took the keys from the devil and led captivity captive. And if he has the keys to hell and death and the grave, there's a keys, some keys and some cities that I need to conquer my own self. 
I need to possess some gates of cities that are coming against me in my life. And I can do that by the power of the Lord Jesus Christ because the blood of Jesus is what has made me free from sin and death. Amen. Woo, I feel this. So what's God saying to us today? I believe it's this. Rise up and possess the gates of your enemy. Stop settling for status quo. Take my promise and take back your culture. Take back that feeling of victory in your life. Get on the offense and quit always playing defense. You got to score. You got to get the ball. No more business as usual. A new day is dawning. And it is the army of the Lord that is taking territory, is moving the boundary stones in this earth until they agree with the decrees of heaven. We need intercessors in our hour. And I walked into the prayer room tonight. One of the reasons the Holy Spirit's in this house is because it baptized that prayer room tonight before you ever came out here. There were 16 to 20 people in that prayer room that was bombarding heaven tonight. And when I walked in, I said, I believe I've had enough. I got a car wash and I got out of there. It was powerful. I'd already had my prayer in today, but I said, wow, I'm going to walk through and just get myself kind of rinsed off, get a car wash. Boy, it didn't take me long. I was in and out just a little bit because the Holy Ghost was pouring down. And that's why you're feeling the power of God in your, in your life today because somebody touched the throne of God back here tonight. Intercessors, intercessors. You've got to go out to the marketplace with your prayer. You've got to get out of the, to the places of power where the decisions of government are made. You've got to get into the business community. You've got to get to the judicial system and legislature, political arena. You've got to take these places for the kingdom of God. I could talk about that. That may be two weeks from now. Gates serve as entry points. Entry points to a house, a city, a palace, a church, or a person's life. Now, here's what I want to tell you. I'm fixing to, I'm fixing to teach now. But the Lord may be repositioning some of you right now. Right now. Are you sensing that he has a new assignment for you outside of what you have been doing in your life and labored for these many years? There's a, there's a couple in our church, and I called and asked permission if I could use their, their story today. Their name is Katrina and Ernie, and I married them a year or so ago, two years ago now almost. And God has just moved them. Now, I, I, don't, I don't want to embarrass them, but they're in their 50s. They're not 30, they're not 20, they're in their 50s. And they've both been successful. Ernie was a three-time war vet in Afghanistan. He did three tours of duty. I think that deserves a hand clap. <laughs> and Katrina has been in business after business after business, and all of them have been very successful. And she's been, she's been doing, uh, she's been doing charge, charge for blatant debts for doctors and she's been doing uh, uh, ultrasound what are this stuff this laser stuff that makes you look pretty <laughs> and all of a sudden they got this reposition concept that maybe we could do weddings and they went out and bought some property and started a wedding business a wedding business now you say what's 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 the story here pastor hang on with me just a minute a wedding business and I thought to myself it's hard to win souls on the phone saying you're in debt to a doctor and we're trying to collect the fee. It's hard to win souls when you're running these laser machines over people. It, it's a good business, but it's hard to win souls. But when you're in a wedding business and you're uniting people in holy matrimony at your place and kindness flows out of you, all of a sudden people are saying, you know what? I'd like to know what kind of food y'all are eating, what kind of cereal y'all eating in the morning. We'd like to have some of that in our house. Well, I'll tell you where we go to church. 
We go to church at Christian Life Austin. You come visit us. I got a feeling, folks, that God is ready to reposition some of our lives to make us more productive in this world because you know what? We need revival in Austin, Texas bigger than we've ever needed in our life. And if God can reposition people in their 50s, He can reposition some of us. I believe people have moved into this church on purpose because they realize this is a place where I can bring people to the house of God. And they won't be embarrassed or hurt nor, nor, nor bothered by the Word of God, but they'll be blessed and lifted by the Word of God and their life will be turned around and they'll find Jesus and they'll go find somebody else who'll find Jesus and they'll go, oh, somebody, help me preach tonight. It's God repositioning our lives. In fact, He's put me in a holy shift. I feel more like preaching now than I ever have in my life. Man, I ain't in no way tired. I may get a little mental tired, but I ain't in no way tired. I love Sunday is like Christmas. Wednesday night is like Thanksgiving. And to see this kind of crowd on Wednesday night when people have shut their doors because they can't get a crowd. If they, and if they, don't, if they serve food, they still can't get a crowd. And you come from the offices. You come with your scrubs on. You come because you're hungry for the Word of God. You're hungry for a word from the Lord. And God's got a word for you here tonight. And I feel confident that we are going to possess the gate of our enemies. Stay with me now. Stay with me. So, there are six gates that I think that we ought to possess. And we all just take a hold of them. And I'm going to be quick with this because I don't preach long on Wednesday night. I just try to preach decent. Six of them. The first gate that I want to talk to you about is ancient or everlasting gates. The ancient or everlasting gates. Psalms 24, 7 through 10 says, Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be lifted up, ye everlasting doors. And the King of glory shall come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O ye gates. Lift up you everlasting doors. And the King of glory shall come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Selah. Just think about it. Selah. Pause and reflect. Selah. And as the name implies, these gates were very old, you everlasting gates. They are gates that have existed for a long time in an individual's life or in a family, community, or nation. There are problems and issues that have been a part of a particular family, a community, or a nation for ages. Before you were born, these problems and issues were here. It could be health. It could be marital. It could be financial challenge that one generation after the other has to contend with. Ancient gates work in this way. A person meets a particular problem and issue when born into a particular family. And the person's children meet these same problems and issues. And even the person's grandkids come to meet those same problems and issues. It's called generational curses. The first gate I think we need to possess is to take down generational curses in our life. For example, a great-grandfather has asthma. The grandfather, the father, the children, the grandkids, the great-grandkids all have asthma. I'm here to declare to you, the great-grandfather has always been in debt. 
So the grandfather's in debt. So the dad's been in debt. So the children are in debt. Everybody's in debt. So a great-grandfather was an alcoholic, which made the grandfather an alcoholic, which made the father an alcoholic. It just works that way. These ancient gates want to hold your family intact. But I declare in the name of the Lord, lift up your head, O ye gates. Be lifted up, you everlasting gates, doors. For the King of glory shall come in. It's time for these gates to lift up and say, I can't hold out a child of God that has promises. I will live without a curse in my life. Ancient gates bring generational curses. Through Jesus Christ, we have victory over the ancient long-standing problems of lives and families. Amen. Amen. Moses told the Israelites in Exodus, he said to the people, do not be afraid, stand still. See the salvation of the Lord which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. You'll see them no more forever. The Lord will fight for you and you shall hold your peace. That ancient long-standing problem in your life and family will not remain with you. I declare it in the name of the Lord. I will not die of alcoholism because a great-grandfather died of alcoholism. I will not die of an overdose of drugs because people in my family have been drug addicts. I will not die of immorality, illicit immorality, because I had, I had people in my family who, who, dated, who, who dated all that stuff and lived in that world and, and were literally whoremongers. I hate to use that term, but I will not die that way. I will come against the gate of that city, and I will declare, I have a brand-new father. <laughs> I have a brand new family. When I accepted Jesus Christ in my life and the blood of Jesus came on me and cleansed me from all sin, when I went down the waters of baptism and rose and received the baptism of the Holy Ghost and I got my freedom, I got my freedom, I got my freedom. I don't belong to that earthly family anymore. I belong to another family, the family of God, the family that is victorious, the family that will live forever. Ancient gates will not destroy. So here's what I want you to pray. Pray with authority. Say, lift up your heads. O oh, your gates of long-standing, spiritual, health, financial, marital, and educational problem. The king of glory is the one that shatters ancient or everlasting gates. God's glory is powerful. good stuff. This is the kind of stuff when I get it out, I, I shout in my office, just whoo, hallelujah. The second gate is the gate of bronze. The gate of bronze. There are gates of bronze and bars of iron that only God can cut through. Gates of bronze were very strong gates that are hard to penetrate. Here's what they are. They're progress stopping gates the enemy uses gates of bronze to hinder people from moving forward 
There are gates that hinder people's progress. There are gates that tie down or cage people to a particular level. Gates of bronze are gates of stagnation. And I hate to use an Olympic example, but bronze isn't silver. And silver isn't gold. Good is all right, but it's not better and it's not the best. And God wants you to be the very best. He wants to take you to another level of living. He wants to take you to a higher plane of existence. He wants to take you to a realm that some of you don't think you could ever get to. But you're going to get there in the name of the Lord. They are erected around a person's life, around a personal spiritual life and ministry and business and career and education. But Psalms 107 says this, Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. For he has broken the gates of bronze and cut the bars of iron in two. Can I tell you, we have a Savior that will go before us if we trust in him. And he'll destroy the gates of bronze and say, you can come to another level. You can live on a different plane. You don't always have to be begging at the gate. You can be somebody giving at the gate. You don't always have to be asking for help. You can be giving people help. I'm going to turn your life around. I'm going to make you the lender and not the borrower. I'm going to make you a person that can bless people instead of always seeking a blessing. I'm going to make you a person that can encourage people instead of always seeking encouragement. I'm going to break through the gate of bronze for you because we will possess that gate. Let me hurry. Everybody say, I declare progress in my life. In Jesus' name. Pray this prayer with me. Oh, Lord. Shatter to pieces, pieces. every gate of bronze, every gate of stagnation, stagnation. erected around my life. life. O Lord, my Father, Father. cut asunder, asunder. cut down all bars of iron, iron. hindering and resisting my spiritual, spiritual. financial, Financial. career, Career. educational, Educational. marital Marital. Progress. progress. Clap your hands and say, we're going through that gate. The third gate we have to possess is prison gates. This is the only gate where you're on the inside looking out, not the outside trying to get through. There's a lot of folks that are in virtue-locking gates tonight. Acts 5 said, Then the high priest rose up, and all those who were with him, which, were, which is the sect of the Sadducees, they didn't believe in the miraculous, and they were filled with indignation, and they laid their hands on the apostles and put them in a common prison. But at night an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out <laughs> and said, Go stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. So they put them inside the prison, and God said, I'm going to get you out. It's the only gate that you have to attack from the inside. And what I see in the prison gates is this. The enemy uses prison gates to lock up good things in your life. Like your joy. Like your peace. Like your happiness. Like your contentment. 
like the goodness of God that you see in your life. He don't want you to see the things that are virtuous in your life and will bring a culture in your life of absolute joy unspeakable. Are you with me tonight? If he sees that God is using a person for something good or good things are coming that person's way, he uses prison gates to try to frustrate those good things. And prison gates are used by the devil to lock up people's destinies and their ministries and their glories and their virtues and their blessings and their testimonies. Acts 12 and 10 said when they were past the first Peter's in prison, he's going, I love this. Let me just share something that, uh, that, let me just share something. It's just not in my notes. But when Pete was put in prison in Acts chapter 12 and they had a prayer meeting at John Mark's mother's house and they prayed him out of prison. You need to read that story tonight before you go home. He was in between two guards, had chains on him. And, and in the middle of the night, an angel appeared and said, mm, chains fell off. He said, stand up, Peter. Put your shoes on. Put your clothes on. We're getting out of here. And here's this, here's this, this, this iron door opened, another one opened up. And then there was a, a gate, a prison gate. That opened up of its own accord. And he was out on the street and angel departed because he's on the street now. He got him out. But here, here's what I love. Here's what I love. Pete was told by the Lord several chapters earlier, several weeks earlier, that he was going to die by crucifixion. And the motive of death, the, the motive of death in the time that Pete was in prison was taking their head off. And Pete said in that prison house, he didn't know how it was going to happen. But he sat in that prison house and he said, I'm not going to die tomorrow because they don't have a cross built. Could you be that secure in a prison house? I'm going to die on a cross. And he was crucified upside down. Folks, I feel like preaching tonight. There's some things that you need to get a hold of when you're inside prison gates. And one of them is you're not going to die till God says you're going to die. You're going to live till God says it's over. Hell is not going to determine your destiny. God's got your destiny in his hand. And Pete knew he's going to come out of that prison one way or another. And the Bible said, oh, I love this. The Bible said in Acts, in Acts 12 and 11, Peter said, Now I know of a surety that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me out of the hand of Herod and from the expectation of the people of the Jews. There are some people that get themselves in prison and they lose their joy, they lose their peace, they lose their happiness, and they're sad. And you, you ask them, is everything all right? No. You know what? There's some people that believe that some people are never going to get the joy that they really need in their life. But Pete came out of that prison and he got out of the hand of Herod and went beyond the expectation of the Jews. The Jews didn't think he was coming out, but he came out. Why don't you get a relationship with God and attack a prison gate? Paul and Silas are in prison in Acts 16. They're on the inside in stocks and bonds. Their joy and all the happiness and the, and the contentment's on the outside. But they sit there in that prison house. Come here, Brother Kelly. Come here, Brother Kelly. Sit down here. Let's, let's have a little time here. You want to be Paul or Silas? It don't matter. You be Silas. <laughs> hey, okay. they're sitting here and they're in bonds and in stocks. 
and they're, they're, they're helpless. It's pitiful. But you know what they do? Yeah. Some, some people do, but some don't. They said, do you feel like singing? And Silas looked at him and he said, Paul, your speech is contemptible. You can't sing. You can't even talk. And Paul said, but I'm going to sing. And Silas said, well, if you're going to sing, I'm going to sing. Can you imagine the harmony that they made? Because Paul couldn't hardly even talk right and he was trying to sing. And Silas, I don't think, was a music pastor. But here they were in prison. They're on the inside. But it don't matter what side of the prison gate you're on. If you want out, there's some things, stay with me, there's some things that you just can't be preached out of. You've got to worship your way out of them. You've got to flat out worship your way. You've got to clap your hands. You've got to raise your hands. You've got to magnify the Lord. You've got to give Him some praise in your life. Please be seated. Please be seated. Let me preach a little bit. And they started singing at midnight. And all of a sudden, there was an earthquake. And the ground shook. And the, and, the, and, the, and, the, and the doors flung open. That's how you get out of a prison gate. When you don't have joy. When you don't have happiness. When you don't have contentment. When you don't have peace. You still got praise. Thank you. Praise him. Praise him. Praise him. Praise him. Praise him. Say, O oh Lord, oh Lord, send your angel, send your angel of, deliverance of deliverance to deliver me, to deliver me out, of out of every prison where my joy, where my glory, glory, contentment, contentment peace, peace, destiny, destiny virtues, and blessings. blessings. I've been locked up. Let me hurry. The fourth is what I call the gates of death. We can have possession of the gates of death. It's called untimely situations in your life untimely this gate is used to cut off people's lives just in the prime of their lives tragedies just at the time when they are about to start enjoying their labors and efforts their lives are cut short or some kind of tragedy cuts their dream short a firing a loss perhaps of sight a loss of a job a loss of a partner being double-crossed it's because of the gates of death you hear of people dying on the day of their graduation or the day before or after their marriage. Pray this prayer for yourself. I pull down and destroy every gate of death that doesn't want me to enjoy the fruit of my labor. The gates of death are behind everything untimely in your life. And I'm not just talking about death. I'm talking about all kinds of passing and dying. It's time to get a grip that we belong to him. Back in Dallas, the weekend of homecoming in March of 1981, we were striving for 500 people. We was having a homecoming. We was inviting all the former members of the church that just had 15 members when we went there in 1975. And we were looking for 500. The church had grown exponentially and beautifully. But on Friday, an untimely passing of a wife and a son. That had an effect on me for probably seven years. Every time something good would start happening, 
I would say, I would invariably say, oh God, don't let evil come and shortchange this. Hezekiah had the same problem and he was a king. He turned his face to the wall because he thought he was going to die. And the prophet said, God's going to give you 15 more years. But he said this, I shall go to the gates of, my, of the grave. I am deprived of the residue of my years. In other words, I'll never see those 15 years. But one day I went offensive, folks. One day I decided I'm not going to put up with that anymore. In 1992, I'd been here just a little over two years, maybe two and a half years. And my brother, Reed's father, took his life. Reed was just 12 years old. I told Reed I was going to tell this tonight. I went on the offensive. We were just about ready to break out. We were already dreaming of building a church, building a building. And it looked like that we were... We were going to do great things, and all of a sudden, bam, my brother is gone. 45 years old, he's no longer with us. But I went on the offensive after I came home from that funeral. I came home from that funeral, and I started reading verses like Psalms 107, 18 through 20. They draw near to the gates of death. They cry to the Lord in their trouble, and he saves them. He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from destruction. I read words like, Father, be a refuge and a fortress to me all through this year. I read this, as the mountains surround Jerusalem, surround us, O Lord, with your glory and power. Surround us with your hands of protection. I read this in Zechariah 2 and 5, be a wall of fire, a wall of protection around me, my family, the church, and nation, so no evil gate of death can prevail against me. Make the wall around us walls of salvation and the gates shielding us gates of praise to keep ruin and destruction and death far away from us. So I still preach today. The wall is salvation and the gate is praise. And I believe with all my heart that there's two things going to keep the death, the untimely things of life away from us. Hang on to your salvation and continue your praise in your life because that's what's going to destroy the gate of death in your life. I've got to hurry. I could preach on that a long time. The fifth is the gate of destruction. It's simply yielding to the flesh. There's a lot of stuff out there now, folks. And I'm going to close just a little bit. Randy, if you'll come and help me. There's a lot of stuff out there that's vying for your, for your soul. Can I talk? The Bible said in Matthew 7, Enter by the narrow gate, for the wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. If you pass through that gate, folks, you'll be destroyed. Your ministry, your business, your career, your marriage can be destroyed if you pass through that gate. There's a gate that's full of evil distraction that can take you away from God. Please listen to me just a moment. This gate is so subtle, it's so deceptive. That's why the Bible tells us that many find themselves passing through this gate. It's a slippery slope. It's almost like you taste the fruit. It didn't hurt you. You taste a little more fruit. It didn't hurt you. You know, God don't always pay on Friday, but he pays. Because judgment against an evil work is not executed speedily. It's set in the heart of men and women to do evil. There's a gate of destruction wants to destroy everybody. I love the young couples in this church. I want your marriage to be sanctified. I want your homes to be blessed. I love the middle-aged couples in this church. That's everybody 65 and down.
want your life. I want you to love your wife. I want you to love your husband. I want you to love your kids. I want your families to do well. I want you to be blessed. There's a gate that we need to possess. We need to, we need to walk in and say, no, 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 no. You're not going to destroy my family. Not my house. Not my house. Not this house. Remember when our girls were just real little and I've, I've gone too long. You see, I'm going on vacation tomorrow and I won't see you for a while, so I got to get it all out of me. But I remember when our girls were little, we lived on 10844 Redmond Lane. Now it's become Redmond Road, then it become Redmond. They just change the names all the time. I used to walk around our house in the middle of the night. We had three little girls in that house, and I, I'd pray the protection of the Lord on that home. I pray protection. God, protect our home. Bless our home. Somebody said, that's so weird, Pastor. No, I was, I was possessing the gates. That gate wasn't going to possess me. I was going to take control of that early in life. And it's not too late to start praying that for your family. I don't care if your kids are teenagers or growing up. It don't matter how old they are. You can pray right now. Fall right down tonight in the middle of your living room floor and start saying, God, save my family. Save my family. Save my family. Save my family. Don't let us go down the road, the gate of destruction. And so... I stopped tonight. I, I, I finished tonight. There's one more I, I got to tell you about, and I, I close. It's the gate of hell. Bringing a spirit of disunity to the church. That's what the gate of hell tries to do, is to bring disunity and non-harmony to the church. It's specifically against the church of God. It's opposition and resistance from the pit of hell to keep the church of God from moving forward. I want to knock on wood. Wait a minute. The gate of hell introduces confusion, strife, disagreement of all forms of disunity. So God's work can't progress. Can I compliment this congregation and tell you that we have, we've already laid siege on that gate. Mark says, a house divided against itself cannot stand. I want to thank this church for being a church of unity and purpose. The only commanded blessing in the Bible, according to Psalms 133, is commanded on the blessing of unity. He commands a blessing even life forevermore. And I want to, I want to thank you, but we've got to, we've got to continually possess this gate. We're in a building program now. We need your help. We need all hands on deck. We don't need you to quit giving. We don't need you to stop because something didn't go right in church or some kid didn't get treated right or something. We need you to understand that things happen in the church this size. And we're doing everything we can to make it right. We had a meeting yesterday. Our staff had a meeting over six hours yesterday just to try to get better. Just to try to get better. Had lunch brought in. We're just trying to get better. We're trying to serve you better. We're trying to up our game. We're trying to be better than we've ever been in our life. And I believe with all my heart that we need a church that's trying to move to better also. We have something great and glorious happening in our lives. Let's don't let the gates of hell prevail against us. 
let's prevail against the gates of hell. Jesus said it, I, not a man, not a pastor, not you, but I will be the one to build my church. In other words, the church of God is God's and he must have full control in charge of his church. I have a picture of Jesus in my office and we're going to stand and take communion and I'm going to let you go home. I've preached way too long tonight. I'm sorry. We'll never go over 80 minutes. Never go over 80 minutes. 70 minutes in this session. And I know some of you have got to get home because you've got news to watch and all that. All that good news. But I got a picture of Christ in my, in my office. I've got a picture of Jesus in my office. And it's the picture that was drawn by a little girl named Akiani. She was eight years old. She painted a picture of Jesus in 40 hours. And the little boy that went to heaven came back and found a picture of this, this picture in a restaurant and said, Daddy, that's the Jesus I saw in heaven. She said, I want, to, I want to see somebody that looks like you on earth. I want to paint him. And she did. And I got that picture. And every Sunday I walk by that picture. I'm not an idol worshiper, but I walk by that picture and I say, I resign. I resign. I resign. This is your church. And I almost hear that picture answer back, yeah, you got in trouble. You want me to bail it out. But no, I know the designer. I know the architect. I know the God that built this thing. I didn't build it. But I'm so glad he lets me be on the team. You didn't build it but you're on the team. Take your hand of your neighbor and say, we're on the team. Come on, we're on the team. Come on, let's possess this thing. Let's stay together as a church body. Let's stay together. There's nothing like togetherness. There's nothing. God Almighty came down to the Tower of Babel and said, they're going to build that tower all the way to heaven because they have unity. They're together. So he had to confound their language to make it not work. God, let us speak the same language down here on this earth because there's a power and unity that nothing can stop. Would you stand all over the building? Would you lift your hands?